And so, Lord God, we thank you that you make beautiful things out of the dust, and that is definitely something that you've been showing us as we preach our way through Matthew chapter 13 and those stories that Jesus told. So, Lord God, now would you help us to preach, and would you make beautiful things out of the dust? In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven, I'm in heaven, and my heart beats so that I can hardly speak, and I seem to find the happiness I see. When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek. Heaven. What do people mean by the word heaven? What's heaven? Just, just throw out some words. What do people mean by that? Heaven. Bliss. Bliss? What other things? Paradise. Yeah, okay. Uh, other words. Just throw them out. Yell them out. Coffee. What? Coffee? Utopia, yeah, okay, utopia, coffee sometimes. Um, but but in, like in the Revelation, it's this amazing city. Everything is, is valuable. It's like, it's like treasure. Um, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's where everything is, is beautiful. It's, it's nourishing. People are satisfied. And I seem to find the happiness I seek. It's, it's like what makes us truly happy. Heaven, and where do we find it? Matthew 6, Jesus says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but he doesn't tell us how to seek the kingdom and where to find the kingdom. Kingdom of God or, or kingdom of heaven, same thing. So, so how do you seek heaven and where do you find it? Maybe a Bible study or seminary. I think that's how some people seek heaven. Maybe by gaining some knowledge or like going on a pilgrimage. You know, in the Old Testament, the promised land is like the kingdom of heaven. The Israelites receive the law and then they go on this pilgrimage. They travel through the wilderness to find the kingdom, but they all die in the wilderness without finding it. Except for Joshua. And Caleb, which means dog. That's weird, but that's what it means. How do you find the kingdom of heaven? I mean, it's a rather strange question when you realize that heaven basically means sky. How do you find the sky when you're made of dirt and destined for dirt? How do you find the sky when you're buried in dirt and pain and chaos? If you're like me, sometimes you think, you know, it would just be easiest to stop looking. Just stop. Well, in Matthew 13, Jesus starts telling stories about heaven. Verse 31, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Verse 33 says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Verse 37, he expands on the fact that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. Jesus tells three stories in a pattern. And, and uh, now, that we looked at that last time, two weeks ago, and now in verse 44, he tells three more stories in the same pattern. Verse 44, story one. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Story two. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Story three, again the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was thrown into the sea and gathered stuff of every genus, every, every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and, and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of, of teeth. So how do you find heaven? I, I think we think that to find heaven on earth, one must achieve greatness in, in some way. One must be outstanding in some field. And the man in this first story is literally outstanding in a field. 
That's just it. He's out standing in a, in a field, or maybe he's walking through the field, or maybe he's plowing the field in order to eat bread by the sweat of his brow, like Adam in Genesis 3, 9, under the, the curse, and all of a sudden, clunk! The plow hit something. It's treasure. He finds treasure. Well, who buried this treasure? If it's the owner of the field, why would the owner then sell the field? Unless, of course, he wanted the man to find the treasure and give up everything in order to obtain the treasure. Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the glory of kings to find those things out. Remember, God breathed his breath into dirt, and man became a living being. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, writes Paul. In the stone sanctuary in Israel, there was a, a treasury, a treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, writes Paul. Well, well, the man in the story bought this piece of earth, but there's no way that you or I could afford heaven. There's no way that he could afford heaven. You can't begin to pay for heaven, but y'all could pay for a little dirt, afford dirt. In 258 AD, having just martyred the bishop of Rome, the emperor Valerian demanded that the chief deacon of the church in Rome hand over all the church's treasure. On the third day, that deacon presented to the emperor on the steps of his palace the church's treasure. Thousands of lepers and orphans and widows, the blind, the lame, the infirm, the old. Here he cried, here is the church's treasure, and the church is far richer than the empire of Rome. That deacon's name was Lawrence. You now know of him as St. Lawrence, for with that he was martyred. <laughs> you see, seeking the kingdom well, that can get you dirty, and it sounds like sometimes it, it can also hurt. The next story Jesus tells is about a pearl. In, in Jesus' day, pearls were the most beautiful of all treasure, and yet they are found in the very last place that you'd expect. An oyster. Now, now, shellfish were unclean to the Jews. An oyster in the mud in the bottom of a shallow sea. Not, not just a dirty place, but a painful place. A pearl forms around a wound in the body of an oyster. So an oyster first experiences a pearl as pain. I mean, it begins as an irritation. It begins as like a, a, a rough piece of sand lodged in the flesh of an oyster. It must feel like, you know, like a broken piece of glass, like in your head there just all the time. Can you understand that? Perhaps all your irritations then are the beginning of a pearl. In the 5th century B.C., the Greek poet Achilles wrote this, In our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart and in our own despair, against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. What a, what a quote. But think about it. The most wise, the, the most beautiful people you know, aren't they those people that have suffered the most pain and yet have come to accept that pain with grace? And now they're like a pearl. Revelation chapter 21, John sees the new Jerusalem and he sees 12 gates into the, can't don't have 12 fingers, 12 gates into the city. The 12 gates are 12 pearls. And they stand for the 12 apostles, which also stands for you, the church. People enter the kingdom of heaven through the testimony, your testimony of God's grace. God's grace wrapped around the pain of your sin and sins that have been committed against you. It's that beauty that makes them pay attention to your testimony. 
grace, forgiveness, beauty. Now you may think, well, Peter, you don't understand. It's not just dirt. It's not just pain. It's hell. It's chaos and hell. Well, in the third story, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet, segene. It would be dropped uh, behind a boat into the depths of the sea. And you know, the sea for the Jew was a picture of death and hell. It was Hades, Revelation 20, 13. At the close of the age, death, hell, and the sea, the sea, give up the dead. And they're judged, crino. It means to separate. You know what that is? It's a halibut. Probably the ugliest, weirdest fish in the depths of the sea. And probably the tastiest fish in all of the sea. A couple years ago, my friend Walt took me halibut fishing in Alaska. It was actually painful, and it was a whole lot of work. And so you might ask, well, Peter, why did you do it? Well, we did it just for the halibut. <laughs> Seriously, just for the halibut. Only the halibut. I mean, we caught a lot of stuff, but we really only wanted the halibut, that genus, that species. If we could have, we, we might have used the net, and the net would have drug up all kinds of stuff. It would have drug up clean things, Jews that they considered, things that Jews considered clean, like, like halibut, and also things they considered unclean, like oysters and clams and shellfish. It, it might have even drug up trash, like old cans and, and tires. Well, we sorted the halibut from the trash, and then we had a feast. We had a hell of a halibut feast. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's found in dirt, pain, and chaos. Maybe it's found in another's dirt, pain, and chaos, the person next to you. Or maybe it's found in your own dirt, pain, and chaos. But isn't that kind of ironic that it's found there in dirt, pain, and chaos? I mean, in my experience, folks turn to religion looking for the kingdom of heaven, when in reality, they may actually be running from the kingdom of heaven. I mean, what? We read books, we develop systems, rules, boundaries in order to what? Gain control. We go to Bible studies, churches, and seminaries to escape from our dirt, pain, and chaos, and the kingdom of heaven is in our dirt, pain, and chaos. It's ironic. It's no wonder that little children and tax collectors and sinners then find the kingdom before scribes and Pharisees. Well, why is it hidden? I mean, surely you've asked that question a million times. God, why do you have to hide it? Why do we have to look? Why doesn't God just say, here it is, the kingdom of heaven, and hand it to us? Why not? Well, at this point in the service, I'd like to pause for a moment because it's come to my attention that some people have not been paying attention to, to the message. So this is an exercise to help you pay attention. Under a few of the seats in this room, taped to the bottom of the chair, is the greatest candy bar ever made, a Baby Ruth bar. Yeah, I'd look if I were you. I'd look. Oh, that Jeff found a Baby Ruth bar. Oh, Mike found one too. Oh, look, Jennifer has a baby. Are there any others? Wow. Oh, there's one in the back, another Baby Ruth bar. Oh, wait, there's one. Some of them are king size. Oh, isn't that incredible? Okay, everybody's, everybody's like, now let me ask you, those of you that have a Baby Ruth bar, do you like Baby Ruth bars? Yeah, no? Okay, Jeff, no? Yes, okay. Well, whether, what's that? Yeah, take, take some. Well, okay, so now whether or not you did like a Baby Ruth bar, I bet you do like Baby Ruth bars more now than you did. Because you sought them and you found them. I mean, isn't that, isn't that kind of amazing? Jennifer, I know you can afford a Baby Ruth bar. You could just go out and buy a Baby Ruth bar. But now you love this baby root bar because you found it. Woo! It's more valuable. You know, the very best Easter that I ever had was 15 years ago in the spring of 2000. My kids were 11, 10, 8, and 5. 
because I was on sabbatical, I didn't have to preach that year. So instead, I used my energy to develop and, and, and create this elaborate Easter egg hunt for my kids, like a scavenger hunt. I just had this incredible time placing clues throughout the house and all throughout the neighborhood. It, it, it wasn't a competition. I mean, I took into the account that, that Coleman was five at the time and John was 11. And so they had to work together along with their sisters in order to complete the scavenger hunt. And each of them was important. The hunt ended where we had hidden the Easter basket, the Easter basket for each of them, the grand stash. In, in the last place that you'd expect to find a treasure trove of candy <laughs> in the backyard surrounded by stink and, and poop in the doghouse. When they found the treasure, they could hardly control themselves. You see, the treasure was so much more valuable and beautiful and satisfying because I didn't just hand them a basket of candy and say, here you go, happy Easter. But instead, I made them seek. They found the treasure, and I found their hearts. I say, each exclaimed, oh, thank you, Daddy, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is the best Easter I've ever had. And that was the best Easter I've ever had. Well, anyway, we were asking, why is the kingdom hidden? Why would the Father hide his kingdom in dirt, pain, and chaos, and why would Jesus hide his meaning in these confusing, bizarre parables? Have you ever played hide-and-seek? Used to love to play hide-and-seek. We played hide-and-seek all the time when I was a kid back in Littleton on South Prince Circle in the late 60s after it got dark. I mean, it was just a thrill to seek and then to find. It was an even greater thrill to hide and then be found. I mean, you could be the chubby, uncoordinated kid that no one paid too much attention to, but then for a few glorious minutes, you were the most popular kid on the block. You were the treasure that everybody wanted to find. You see, the hiding and the seeking increased your value. like an Easter basket in a doghouse on Easter morning surrounded by dirt and stink, like a candy bar that's been hidden under your seat. Hide and seek created desire. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, Matthew 6. Then he says, seek and you will find, Matthew 7. Then Matthew 13, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Then it's like leaven. It's like wheat among tares. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. It's like a merchant in search of fine pearls. It's like a net dropped into the heart of the sea. Next verse, Jesus says to them, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. <laughs> I love that. The disciples were absolute morons. And, and that gives me courage that I too could, could be a disciple. Do you understand the, what things? The kingdom of heaven, how it operates in this world, and the judgment of God. Do you understand these things? What things? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you understand? And they say, yep, no more questions. We got it. What's wrong with them? They're not seeking. One day, Rabbi Baruch's grandson, Yehel, was playing hide-and-seek with another boy. He went, and he found a great hiding spot. He hid, and he stayed there hiding in anticipation for 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, no one found him. His friend who he was playing with didn't find him, so found him. So he, so he peeked out to look and see if anyone was there, and then he hid, he hid longer in his secret hiding place. Finally, he, he realized that no one was looking for him. He finally realized that his friend had never looked for him. Crying, he ran to his grandfather, the rabbi, and explained to him what had happened and what his faithless friend had done to him. And Rabbi Baruch's eyes swelled with tears as he realized that's what God says. I hide 
but no one wants to seek me. Maybe the problem isn't finding the kingdom. The problem is wanting to find the kingdom. Not looking for the kingdom. Not wanting to look for the kingdom. The Jesuit priest Anthony DeMello, he used to tell about a a spiritual master that was so brilliant and so holy that God himself one day came and asked him for advice. God said, I'd like to play a game with humankind. I'd like to play hide and seek with humankind. And I've asked my angels what the best place to hide is. And some said the depths of the sea, some said the height of the mountain. What do you say? And the master said to God, hide in the human heart. That's the very last place they will think to look. Well, maybe the problem isn't that we don't think to look. Maybe the problem is that we don't want to look. Because maybe we're afraid to look. Have you ever been afraid to look at the dirt, the pain, and the chaos in your own heart? In Romans 3, Paul quotes Isaiah, whom you know Jesus has been quoting, Romans 3.10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one seeks. No, why? Why, why don't we seek? No one seeks. Well, maybe we're afraid. I mean, maybe the disciples were afraid. Jesus just said that thing about unrighteousness and the fiery furnace, and the disciples were probably feeling a bit unrighteous. I mean, if I said to you, the judgment of God, the righteousness of God is taped under one of the seats in this room, would you look? So Jesus says, do you understand? And they say, yep, we understand. Can we now change the subject? It's like when we say to people, seek to believe that God loves you and that God forgives you. Or God won't love you and he'll never forgive you and he will torture you forever and ever and ever in a furnace of fire. People say, yep, I believe. Now could we change the subject? Maybe they don't seek because they don't understand because they're not righteous, but terrified of righteousness. That is the judgment of God. In Romans 3, right before he writes, no one understands, no one's righteous, Paul teaches something utterly fascinating, I think, about God's judgment. In verse 4, he reveals that every man is a liar in order that all might see that God's judgment is just and righteous. Then he asks this, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, is God unrighteous to inflict his wrath on us? And he answers, of course not. For then how could God judge the world? What a strange thing to say. You see, he talks as if all creation and all things have happened for a reason, and that reason is to reveal God's judgment, God's eternal, foundational, unchanging judgment. That's the, the reason for all things, like it's the logos for all things, the judgment of God. And that judgment, according to Paul, is like glorious, just glorious. And that's what's so fascinating about these three stories. They're told in parable, and then a freaky weird thing happens in the third story. It's what, what Jesus does in Luke 15. Remember, number one, there's a coin. It's found and there's a party. Number two, a uh, sheep is lost. It's found and then there's a party. Number three, a boy is lost. He's found and then there's a party. And yet, there's a separation. There's somebody that doesn't want to go to the party. Jesus just used the same pattern in Matthew chapter 13 in the verses we read uh, two weeks ago. Number one, the kingdom is like a mustard seed that grows and provides refuge for weird birds. Number two, the kingdom is like leaven that grows and makes a feast. And number three, the kingdom is like wheat that grows and is separated from tares. And now Jesus says, number one, the kingdom is like treasure that's found 
And in great joy, a man sells all that he has in order to buy the field in which he found the treasure. Number two, it's like a pearl, so great that when it's found, the merchant freely chooses to sell all that he has in order to buy the pearl. And number three, it's like a net dropped into the heart of the sea, and the evil are separated from the righteousness, righteous and, and burned in a fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. Or maybe it does belong. Because Jesus seems to think that it belongs. Maybe it's the same thing, but like from a different angle. Did you notice that in... All three stories, in each story, there was actually a separation, a separation in all three. That is a judgment. In the first story, the finder is separated from all that he has. I mean, if someone came along and said, I am separating you from all that you have, well, that would be pretty miserable. But this guy is separated by joy. In his joy, he sells all that he has and buys the field. In the second story, the seeker is separated from all that he has by finding the pearl. And he freely chooses to sell all that he has in order to purchase the pearl. In the third story, we don't read about free and joyful decision. We read about a fiery furnace. So there's a separation by joy and a separation by fire. And ultimately, I think they are the very same judgment. There's a separation in time and a separation at the close of the age. And ultimately, I think we'll see that they're the same judgment. In the first two stories, someone sought the judgment. And in the last story, things are caught by the judgment. Some would argue that the good are certain people. And the evil are other people. But I would argue that they are an entirely different genus, an entirely different species. Like we saw last time, wheat and tares are entirely different species. They don't convert. And so the good are sons of the kingdom created by God that have been lost but now are found by this incredible net. And the bad are sons of the devil, N not people, but false people, imitation people, the people that we think we create, the old man, our pride. If that's who you think you are, judgment will burn like a fiery furnace and you will weep and gnash your teeth. But if you believe God's judgment in Christ Jesus, you will surrender your pride in absolute joy if you believe it and receive it, for you will see that you have been given the very righteousness of God. Instead of being burned by grace, you'll delight in grace. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel chapter 3. Like the disciples praising God in tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2. In other words, you'll understand, you'll understand, and you will seek. Because you will know that you have always been sought. Always been sought by the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is his judgment. His word. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and yet you come to know that his kingdom and his righteousness has always been seeking you. You know, if you seek a kingdom, and, and this is language that we're not used to because we're in America, right? A democratic republic. But if you seek a kingdom... It literally means that you seek the judgment of its king. The dominion of the king. Kingdom. King dominion. That's what it means. You desire the judgment of the king. 
So, think about it. If the king has an enemy, that enemy would do everything in his power to get the king's subjects to fear or distrust the king's judgment. So they would not seek the king's judgment, but instead would reject the king's judgment, maybe even crucify the king's judgment. The king's judgment is his word. Jesus said, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe, every student of Scripture who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure or treasury what is new and, and what is old, new and old. The kingdoms spread throughout space and time, and it certainly spread throughout Scripture. So everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, writes the Apostle Paul. The new covenant is in the old covenant, and the old covenant always testifies to the new. So Jesus says, guys, some new stuff is going to be happening. But pay attention, because it's old. You'll find a tree in a garden. <laughs> You'll see a lamb that is slain. Captives will be set free. A sanctuary will be built. Another sanctuary will be torn down. The veil will split. The judgment will be revealed. The kingdom will come on a tree of death and life in a field in a place of great pain, surrounded by chaos and hell. Luke 18, 31, Jesus takes the 12 disciples and says, says this, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. <laughs> Jesus asked, do you understand? No, they don't understand. They don't even seek. Like Paul and Isaiah wrote, no one seeks, no one understands, no one is righteous. No one seeks. We should seek, but, but we don't seek. No one seeks. So what's the point of these three stories? No one seeks. Well, maybe the point is more than just law. That is what we should do and don't do. Maybe the point is what God does do and we will do by grace. So, so, so just look at them one more time. I said no one seeks, but maybe someone does. You know, in the first parable, the man, he really doesn't seek the treasure, does he? He stumbles upon it. Almost like someone put the treasure in his past so that once seeing it, he would sell everything in order to obtain it. The man can't afford the treasure, but he can afford the dirt in which the treasure is found. But the pearl merchant well, he does seek the treasure. And the pearl merchant can afford the treasure. He can afford the pearl, the pearl of great price. And he pays the great price. Jesus uses a different word here for sell. It's piprasco. It was used for selling slaves. So it's like the pearl merchant sell, sells all that he has and all that he is to pay for the pearl. I mean, it's like he empties himself and takes the form of a slave in order to purchase and pay for this pearl. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like the merchant. Jesus is the merchant. And we are his pearl. His people gathered around a tree in a field in a place of great pain where he endures hell on our behalf. His people gathered around a wound in his body, body broken and bloodshed. We are his pearl, his people. His, his pearl is also a new you, uh, made of his grace. It starts as an irritation in your flesh, sin in the flesh, and turns into the kingdom of grace. God is grace. In the third story, in the third story, Jesus says the kingdom is like a dragnet. The kingdom is like the net that draws all things to itself. John 6, Jesus says this, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. We're Jews for drawing in a net. 
So no one seeks, but the Father seeks. The Father draws. And how does the Father seek? John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world, says Jesus. And when I, I, when I am lifted up, and he's speaking about his tree, I will draw all people, like a dragnet, draw all people to myself. At, at, at the cross, Christ draws all people to himself, and he destroys our bad judgments. With what? Himself, God's good judgment. At the cross, God destroys the old man that Paul talks about, and he creates and reveals the new man. He burns the tares and gathers the wheat. He destroys what's evil and reveals what's good. His death is a dragon. According to Scripture, he even descends into the depths of the earth and preaches to the spirits in prison that formerly did not obey in the days of Noah but were buried under the sea. He even descends into your dirt and your pain and your chaos. You see, I think we're going to see this today. At the tree, he sows himself like treasure in every field, like seed, like leaven. He's the treasure in your earthen vessel. He's the grace that wraps itself around the wound in your flesh and makes a pearl. He's the judgment that sorts out your chaos with logos, and that's where you find him, where he has found you. Not in a program or a book or a, a seminary or even a church building. You, you find him in your dirt, your pain, and your chaos. The very place you are most terrified to look. The place he sacrificed himself for you. He is the judgment of God. And now this is kind of interesting, but you know, Matthew, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke usually use the phrase kingdom of God. You see, for the Bible writers, God and heaven were interchangeable. So heaven is God and God is heaven and God is seeking you with his, his word, his decision. God's seeking you. So think about this. The whole time that Israel was on their, their journey through the wilderness seeking the kingdom, the kingdom was in their midst seeking them. God was in the sanctuary, but they couldn't look in the sanctuary because they couldn't bear the glory. And Jesus reveals that our own body is the sanctuary and will be filled with God's glory. So the whole time that Moses and Israel thought they were seeking God, they actually weren't seeking God, but God was seeking them. He was in them, with them, in the sanctuary, seeking them. He was seeking to be sought by them. He is our Father, and He is heaven. He is love, longing to be loved. And you see, that's exactly what I wanted from my kids on Easter morning. It's like God the Father arranged the entire scavenger hunt. <laughs> by that I mean the Big Bang and the dinosaurs, and the tree in the garden, and Israel, and Egypt, and Babylon, and Rome, and even the terrible week that you had last week. And then he combined it with these stories that we read today, all to get you to seek him and find him standing next to an empty tomb on Easter morning. But he not only arranges the scavenger hunt, he gives his spirit to help us seek, to cause us to seek. He arranges for the dirt, the pain, and the chaos, and he provides the seed. I mean, think about it. It's faith, hope, and love that take root and grow in dirt, pain, and chaos. He wants you to want him as he wants you. He's seeking you Seeking him. He is your kingdom of heaven, and you are his kingdom of heaven. He's seeking you, seeking him. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Green Mile. John Coffey is this black man on death row, wrongly accused of murder sometime in the 1930s. 
He's a gentle giant who acts just like Jesus. And so his prison guards ask him if they can save him from this hour, the electric chair. And this is what he says. Why would you do such a foolish thing? On the day of my judgment, when I stand before God, and he asks me why did I did I kill one of his true miracles? What am I going to say? That it was my job. It's my job. You tell God the Father it was a kindness you done. I know you heard me word. I can feel it on you. But you ought to quit on it now. I want it to be over and done with. I do. I'm tired, boss. Mostly I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel in here in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head. All the time. Can you understand? Yes, John, I think I can. Well, there must be something we can do for you, John. There must be something that you want. He wants one thing. He's like treasure buried in a dirty field. He's the Lord's pearl being formed in a place of great pain. He seeks the kingdom of heaven as the kingdom of heaven has been seeking him all along. And so, what's heaven? I think heaven is dancing cheek to cheek with the judgment of God. And his name is Jesus. Brennan Manning used to tell about a retreat he once led, and I think I've shared the story with you a few times because it means so much to me. At the retreat, there was a, a, a nun in her mid-30s who was quiet and shy and didn't share, and never spoke up. She was a little bit like a stone. But on the fourth day of the retreat, uh, he asked if people would share uh, something that the Lord had revealed to them. And, and there was an awkward silence for a time. And then the nun raised her hand and said, the Lord showed me something. And then she read this out of her journal. At the end of your talk, referring to the talk Brennan had given earlier that day about the bride of Christ. She said, you prayed that we might experience what you had just shared. You asked us to close our eyes. Almost the instant I did, something happened. In faith, I was transported into a large ballroom filled with people. I was sitting by myself on a wooden chair when a man approached me, took my hand, and led me onto the floor. He held me in his arms and led me in the dance. The tempo of the music increased, and we whirled faster and faster. The man's eyes never left my face. His radiant smile covered me with warmth and delight and a sense of acceptance. Everyone else on the floor stopped dancing. They were staring at us. The beat of the music increased, and we pirouetted around the room in reckless rhythm. I glanced at his hands, and then I knew. Brilliant wounds of a battle long ago, almost like a signature carved in the flesh. 
the music tapered to a slow, slow lilting melody, and Jesus, he rocked me back and forth. As the dance ended, he pulled me close to him. Do you know what he whispered? He whispered, Christine, I'm wild about you. I think that is the judgment of God. I had a terrible week this last week. I can't tell you why, but by Wednesday night, the dirt, the pain, and the chaos were just too much for me. I've become convinced of three things. That I was a failure as a dad, a failure as a husband, and a failure as a pastor. And so I just wanted to stop. Stop walking, stop seeking. And you know, that was the danger when I used to play hide and seek with my kids. I mean, my hiding made me worth seeking, but sometimes the kids could just get discouraged and give up. That was the danger. And so in those moments, I'd make a noise or I'd clear my throat. Meister Eckhart, the 14th century mystic, wrote this, God is like a person who clears his throat while hiding and so gives himself away. So when we would play hide-and-seek, I'd clear my throat, and the kids would find me. I'd jump out, grab them, cover them with kisses, and then I'd issue my judgment. I love you, I love you, I love you! Well, last Wednesday, praying with friends, my wife had a vision of three open doors, and I could go through any of the doors or all of the doors. We, we discerned that the doors were being a dad, being a husband, and being a pastor. And so really the only choice was to give up or seek the kingdom in all of those places. That night, and, and then preparing this sermon that I didn't want to prepare, I think I began to hear God's judgment. Peter, I'm wild about you. You see, that judgment in that place of dirt, pain, and chaos, it does something to me. It causes me to surrender me. And what do I mean by that? I mean it causes me to surrender my faith in my ability to make myself a good dad, a good husband, and a good pastor. I forget me, and I find in me a new desire. I want to seek treasure in those four dirty fields that I call my children. I want to sell everything for that pearl that is my bride. And I want to preach the gospel even in the depths of hell. Well, I'm just saying, I think the kingdom of heaven is like that. And so Jesus took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. This is the judgment of God. This is the decision of God. Jesus, you know, means God saves or God is salvation. It's a decision. This is the judgment of God, the decision of God. Look at it. It's in this place surrounded by all this dirt, pain, and chaos. And he says your name. Do you see what he's saying? I mean, to do something like this, do you see what he's saying? He says your name. And then he says, hey, do you understand? I'm wild about you. Would you be wild about me? I think the kingdom of heaven is like that. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. God, 
The dry bones will, they'll cry out, great are you, Lord. And Ezekiel says those dry bones are the whole house of Israel. And so, Lord God, we thank you that one day every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them will cry out, great are you, because they will see you and they'll rejoice in the incredible judgment that you have proclaimed, Lord God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So they will sing, we will sing, great are you, Lord, but we're saying it right now, great are you, Lord. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we thank you, Father, that even when we did not seek, you sought and you found. And you will take us home. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think I titled this sermon something like The Kingdom of Heaven and How It's Found. And you see, I think it's found when you come to believe that it's found you and it's always been looking for you. In other words, it's found when you believe the gospel. And so may you believe the gospel. And now, um, I, I didn't know how to include this, but it's important. Um, I said the kingdom is like a treasure that's found in a place of dirt, pain, and chaos. It's like this. If you've got a baby Ruth bar, Want some? Oh. Well, give me some. Who asked you? Come on, I'm asking. I didn't Joey, ask you. Joey, would you please? Joey, would Kingdom of Heaven is kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs>